Welcome to Calvary HSM Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope this blesses you. Well, good evening and welcome to HSM at the 5 p.m. service. How are you guys doing this evening? Amen. Amen. Well, if you're meeting for the first time and you're here in the room or online, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I serve here as a high school pastor. And uh, we exist as a body to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's what we're about. Now, as we have been going through the past few weeks, uh, we've been going through uh, the names of God. That's been the name of our series, the names of God. And so, what I'm going to invite you guys to do this evening is open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Put up your hand if you have a Bible on you. If you have a Bible on you. Physical Bible, let's see. Physical Bible, put it up in the air. Let's see. Awesome. What about digital Bible? How many of you guys need the Wi-Fi to download the Bible app? Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. If you guys don't have a Bible, you'd like to have one, we have some in the back for you as a gift from us to you. Uh, If you also want, we have one on the left side, which is my left, your right, so you can grab one from a gift from us again to you. As we've been going through this Bible series uh, called The Names of God, we've been exploring what it means to know God. And here's a point we want to make. God's names reveal his nature and his character. God's names reveal his nature and his character. The more we learn about God's names, the more we get to know and trust who he says he is, who he reveals himself to us as. And so what I encourage you guys to do this evening is to get out your pens if you have one of those things, if you mark your Bible with um, the digital, uh, digital way and highlight whatever you do, but open up to Exodus chapter 15 for us to start today. When you get there, say amen. For the 12 people who are there, we're moving forward. It says this in Exodus chapter 15. Amen, you're there? Praise God. I love that. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's make this clear. God doesn't have different names in a sense that he is like Vishnu or maybe Allah or Buddha. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying that these names express the character of who God is. These names express the meaning, the knowing of who our God is. It's said of Moses that Moses knew God by who he was, his ways. But the people of Israel knew him by his works, his miracles. We want to be a people who know God not by what he does, but for who he is personally to us, internally to every single one of us. And so, for all of us, as we look about, we know that names actually carry meaning. Last week, I talked about how my names are five. I have four that are legal on paper. The fifth is one that actually is not on paper. Aaron, Michael, Waldegembe, Kayondo, Kajumba. If you took a snapshot, praise God, you have it. If you don't want, come talk to me after. But I have five names, and all those names you explained had a meaning. And it's interesting because even today, no one's going to name their kid, for some reason, Adolf Hitler. Right? No one's going to do that. No one's going to name their kid, what? Judas. Why? Well, there's a meaning behind it. There's a name. There's a meaning behind those names. These names carry a connotation with them. And the names of God also carry a connotation with them. Interestingly enough, even in, in Africa or many parts of the world, people will name their kids after days of the week. For example, like Monday or Sunday. You know where we're going with this? Tuesday and? 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 
Why do you think they named their kids the days of the week? Because those days are significant to them specifically. And the same way, if naming our children has that much more importance to us, understanding the nature of this God has a weight as well to us personally. Proverbs 18 says that the name of the Lord is strong. That God's name is strong. It is a strong tower that the righteous can run into. You can run into and have safety. Matthew says, hallowed be your name. In Matthew, when, he, when, when Jesus is teaching uh, his disciples how to pray, he starts by saying, God, hallowed be your name. May your name be seen as holy. So you want to hold these names in high regard. Why? Because understanding the names of God actually defines our purpose. Once we know who God is, we see ourselves in him. The Bible says we're made to be image bearers. We look like this God. We walk like this God. We are representations of this God on the earth. And so when we say that we are Christians, we are Christ-like, people expect something from you. They hope something from you. They put something on you, whether it's positive or negative. Either way, there's a connotation with the name Christian. And you are a Christ-like person. You carry the nature of Christ. We've talked about how God is Jireh, which means he's a God who provides. We've talked about how God is Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, a God of peace. Or Jehovah Nisi, the God who is our standard. This is the past three weeks. And if you guys have not caught any of those, please go watch them online. Go stream it on, on uh, uh, Spotify or wherever you guys catch your stuff on. The point is this, that all these names mean to us what, how we are to live as believers here and now. And today we're talking about Jehovah Rapha, which is God our healer. Now the word Jehovah is the name of God, Yahweh, the actual name of God that the Israelites would call God, how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And that means Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-existent one. The actual word is, is, is Elohim. He is Adonai, the, the self-existent one. No one uh, causes him to be. Like he is in and of himself perfect and whole and secure. He needs no one else to be who he is. And he says, my name is Jehovah and Jehovah Rapha. This is why they killed Jesus because he said, I am who I am. He, has, he says he is the I am. I am the self-existent one. That's why they killed Jesus ultimately. And he says that he is Jehovah, the self-existent one, Rapha, which means the Lord who heals us. I am the one who heals you. Now, in Exodus 15, 22, where we begin our, our scripture this evening, if you guys have your Bibles, this is where we're going to begin to jump in the text. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Context, right? Because context is king, a.k.a. context is bay. If you don't know context, you're lost, okay? So this is where we are. The context is this. The people of Israel have been in Egypt for 400 years. Now, that's a long time. So you guys have been waiting for the Xbox whatever for forever, or you're waiting for a boyfriend for forever, or all, these, all the things, right? But now you guys have been in, like, slavery for 400 years. So 400 years, now they've been set free. Moses steps in like a, a, a Christ-like image. Moses sets these people free. Uh, the Lord causes 10 plagues to come upon the Egyptians, and they set them free. They cross the Red Sea. Like, that's like, like almost a statement we just throw out, like they just crossed the Red Sea. God split the Red Sea, and these people crossed aside on dry lands. In Psalms, it talks about how the breath of his nostrils, because Psalms be poetic like that, separates the waters. 
Like God literally blows across it and separates the waters. They cross on dry land, and they, after that, they get to the other side, and we have the first collab ever in the Bible, right? Nothing like uh, 21 and Drake, whatever, but like something like Moses and Miriam, right? And it goes, if you guys read the top of that chapter in 15, it goes something like, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. He says, my enemies, they've been cast into the sea. God has set us free. They can know, that, and Jesus said this to, uh, Moses uh, t- told this to the people, that the enemies that you see now, the Egyptians you see now, you will never see again. And he was true to his word. All those Egyptians who chased those people died. Now here we are. We get to this place. They've gone through the, the waters of the Red Sea, which Paul tells us is an image of baptism. A few weeks back, many of us were here witnessed as people who had given their lives to the Lord, submitted to, the, submitted to God in obedience, and were baptized. And Paul talks about the Red Sea going through that, that, that space as an act of baptism. And so they've walked through it, kind of like you guys, they've experienced small group, they've seen God, they walk with God, they have a pillar of fire by, by what, by day? No, I'm just kidding. By night, and a pillar of cloud by Thank you. Right? They have all this going on with them. So they're seeing the physical manifestation of God with them in the desert. We talked about how they fought against their family and how they won Jehovah Nisi, who is our standard. And now here they are three days in, and they find that there is no water. Now, interestingly enough, the desert was the only way that they were supposed to go to where they're supposed to get to. Does that make sense? Like, they were supposed to go through the desert to get to the promised land, right? And so they're three days in, and they find no water. Now, normally what happens is this. The human body cannot survive without three days of water. Three days is a lot. Recently, there's been an earthquake in Syria, and this story came out about these guys who were uh, in, uh, under a building, collapsed for about four days or so. And how did they survive? By drinking their urine and eating protein powder. Praise God for those who lift. Gains, gains, gains. Right? Like, this is how they survived. Right? This is how they survived. So you can imagine being in the middle of the desert having three days. Three days with no water. Nothing. Your tongue is dry. And what do, what do they do? It says this in verse 23. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water. God led them to this place called Mara because it was bitter. And that is why the place is called Mara. Verse 24. And this is what happens when we get to this place. When we're, things are going good and all of a sudden they don't go the way we wanted them to. Like you and me, so quick. We begin to be like these people in verse 24. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? They begin to complain. Now, again, they, you have to know that they just came through the water. They came through a water problem. They were at the Red Sea. There was no way for them to cross. Then all of a sudden, they have another water problem. And this water problem, they also could not see any way. But they were so quick to forget that God who split the Red Sea, literally by the blasting of his nostrils, split the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land, they forgot, and they were like, dude, what are we supposed to do? They forget. Why? We are quick to forget what God can do because we are quick to forget what God has done. This is what happens. We forget what God has done before. The Bible says, Paul talks about how the Old Testament is written to us so we would know we would know what these people did, what they walked through, their mistakes, so we can hold on to the truth. 
Why do we lack faith? Why do we cry out in agony as if God, is not for, as if God has forsaken us? As if God has not died on the cross for us? As if he has not already set us free? Why do we live like that? Because we don't live in remembrance. Remember, Lion King? Remember who you are. We have to remember who God has called us to, but they forget. We are prone to wander. We leave the God that we love. We forget where God has taken us, what he has done. And what happens is we begin to become bitter. And literally the word says that they called the place Mara bitter because the waters were bitter. And what happens with water? How does it become bitter? Well, actually, let's, let's back up. When things don't go your way, you become bitter. You become bitter towards God. God why? God when? God how? God why didn't you? As if you're owed anything. Or you, you begun to get bitter towards people. You should have. Why didn't you? Aren't you my... Guys, we're not owed anything in this life. Let me be real with you right now, okay? If you're just like, I'm owed this because I'm this or that. I'm in Westlake. I'm a Christian. My parents were. Like, I got baptized. You're not owed anything. We're all servants of each other. We're all servants of God. Servants are not owed anything. So it's a beautiful thing that God calls us friend, that God brings us in to his family, and we receive that with joy. But what happens is we begin to be bitter. And what do we call bitter people? Salty. You begin to become salty, like the waters of Mara. You're salty saltina, salty Sally, salty Sam. I don't know, I'm sorry, Sam's. Like you become to be like that kind of a person. Water becomes salty because nothing goes in and nothing goes out. You don't want to hear anything from people. And you don't want to release things. And so you hold on to things. Your heart becomes hardened like the waters of salt. And the reality is this. Things go wrong. Things that can, can be difficult. That's true. But this is what's going to happen to you, child of God. You, when you go and you die or the Lord comes back and just raptures us up and takes us to heaven, you will only be held accountable for what you do, for what you did. God won't look at those other people. He, like God's a just judge. He'll take care of those people. He'll be like, what did you do in the midst of your hardest of heart? What did you do in your bitterness? What did you do in the middle of those things? Did you give it back to me? Or did you hold on to it? Did you hold on to those things? And here's some things for you to do if in case you're in that place where you become like that salt, that salt water, that place of Mara, where you're holding on to bitterness and holding on to things. One, you must relinquish your false security or your false humility or your sense of entitlement. You must relinquish it. Because it's not real. It's not real. You are not owed anything. This is why the story of the gospel, this is why grace is so powerful. Because we're not owed anything except death. If you've never heard this before, welcome to church. This is it. This is what's happening here. We are a people who are not entitled anything, and yet we give ourselves to this God because he has loved us. One, we relinquish our sense of false security or humility. And then two, we actually then actually forgive people. We let it go. And here's some things for us to understand. I'm not saying, like, again, let me just back it up real quick. Your pain is real, okay? And God doesn't want you actually to have bitterness. He wants you to be, to be enslaved by bitterness, okay? So your pain is real for sure, right? Now, I'm not trying to downplay things that have happened to you in your life. People have actually wronged you and sinned against you. It's true. But God doesn't want you to be chained by bitterness in your life. He wants you to be a people who instead forgive. And let me also make this point. You can actually forgive people and send people to jail. Okay? You can forgive people and have good, healthy boundaries. You can forgive people and not talk to them again. That's okay. 
that's all right, right? But this forgiveness is for you to have peace with God and with man. See, here's some things forgiveness is and is not. One, forgiveness does not mean you, con- you actually condone the offense. You don't condone the offense. It was wrong. It was horrible. Two, forgiveness means you are willing to let go of the hurt so, you can, uh, so resentfulness and bitterness does not grow in your heart. See, this is why Jesus says that we are to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who thank you, right? Because he's given us so much grace. He wants us to give that to other people. He says this, and he expounds on this verse later on. If you guys read the rest of that chapter, he goes on and says, if we don't forgive others, he, your father in heaven. Remember that the prayer begins with our father in heaven? Our father in heaven will not forgive us, interestingly enough. So the, the grace that we give, he expects us as image bearers, as people who carry his name, who don't hold his name in vain. We are to carry that grace with other people. See, forgiveness is for you, but forgiveness is also for other people. It's for you, but also for other people. So we're to be a people who then fix our eyes on Christ Jesus in the midst of our pain, knowing that he forgave us, and so we can ourselves learn in his way, the way he has done it, the way, Yahweh, I dare say. Like, like also then forgive other people. In the words of one of the most, or even the hardest lyricists of our time from Disney, and I say she's hard because when she sings, old men begin to cry and dance with their daughters in their blue dresses. In the words of Elsa, let it go. You got to let it go. And once you do, you actually have freedom because you relinquish your false sense of control. Because then now you're at the mercy of the God who knows all, who sees all, who judges all. Again, we called him Elohim, Adonai, the self-existent one. And if he is who he says he is, then, hey, there's no loss in you making yourself humble. There's no loss in you saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand everything. God, it hurts. And Moses has that same situation. He cries out to God and trusts that this God is going to make a way for his people and for him. So it says this. Let me suggest this real quick. Let me make this point. Uh, you cannot actually be a conduit of blessing if you yourself are harboring unforgiveness. See, God has called us to be a people who have a ministry of reconciliation. Like your job really is to, like this is what happened. Jesus came and he died to bring us back to himself, to bring us back to God. But do you think you can preach peace and mercy and grace? And real love, if you are holding unforgiveness, you'll be preaching good vibes, morality. You're, you're no better than Oprah. <laughs> good for you, okay? Right? That's where it stops. The buck stops at that point. But no real life change, no power in your life. And there's so many Christians who want to have the idea of Christ, but not Christ himself. Yeah. Right? You like the idea of Jesus dying on the sin for you, but you don't want to die yourself. See, the Old Testament is about having a sacrifice that is dead, that is slain. The blood is put out there for you. But now in the New Testament, God shows us we ourselves are to be a living sacrifice, willingly laying ourselves, like uh, Drew talked about in the first week, like uh, Isaac willingly laying himself on the altar. He looks at it in the eyes of his father who loves him, knowing he's his only son. He gets on that altar 
Daddy, where is the ram? Where is the sacrifice? God will provide. That's what he said. And so we do that every day, giving ourselves, knowing that God is Jireh. He will provide for us. He himself will give us the strength to be that kind of a sacrifice. What happens is this, grace that empowers us to forgive other people. The grace that God gives us empowers us to give grace to other people. And as you do so, we can trust, it says, I believe in Isaiah or Jeremiah, you can look it up when you have time, that he is a God who heals the brokenhearted and binds up all our wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up all our wounds, meaning as you yourself are giving yourself to the Lord and you've been wronged, God knows, he's aware, but he only doesn't just know, Jireh. It, sees that it means that he will, he will see to it. Jireh, the provider, will see to it. He will see to it that you're taken care of. Okay? And so what happens in verse 25 is this. It says that Moses cried out to the Lord, like you and me. We don't know. What the heck, God? What's going on? He cried out to God. I don't know if that's the version he said or how he said it, but then I would have said it that way. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Okay, that was the verse. Moses is out there. He cries out to God. God speaks to him, meaning God hears us when we pray. When you ask God for an answer, he will hear you from heaven and come down and give you an answer, whether it's through people, whether it's an audible voice, whether it's through his word. But he will speak to you. This is what it says in John, that here you know you're children of God, that when you pray, our God hears you. Okay? So if you pray, God will hear you. That prayer wall is not there for show. Okay? It's not for show. Guys, if there's stuff you're working through, put it there. Give it to God. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. That's what it says in James. Right? We're not, we're not just like having church and it's a fun thing. Well, church is fun for real though. Let's be real. Okay? That's awesome. But if you're not using and enjoying like the full benefits of what God has for you, you're missing out. God wants you not to just enjoy the benefit of the joy of the beloved being amongst us, but to have real joy for yourself. So what happens is this. This water called Mara is bitter, but ends up being Mathak, which is sweet, which also means satisfying. It was bitter, and he makes the water satisfying. That which was painful, that which was horrible, that which was testing, that was difficult to understand, he makes it beautiful. He makes it, I dare say, like it says, the original word, mathak, means satisfying. We are the only people in the world who can look upon the worst way to kill a human ever and be like, that's a source of joy. That cross means more to you than any random rapper wearing it around their neck. It means more to you because you know what our God did for us. It's not just a symbol. It's, it's, it's an image of what God did for us. He makes the bitter things sweet. So you can look upon your trials of many kinds. James says in 1-3, uh, I think it's 1 or 1-1, one 1-3. One, one that you can look upon all these characters. The word, there, the word that's talked about there is, is the, the various kind of trials. talks about the different colors. You know how many colors exist? You can trying to get paints to match paint in your house. It's, it's, it's the worst thing ever. It's like purple, off-purple, uh, scarlet. I don't know. It's like all kinds of things. Like green forest green. Like there's all kinds of stuff, right? So for any form of trouble or trial you have going on in your life, you can trust that this God can use it to make it beautiful. God takes the bitter and makes it sweet. 
meaning every God-allowed problem, and I said it that way, yes, God-allowed problem is a grace for the beloved. If you've trusted Jesus, every God-allowed pain for you is a way of testing and a way for you to grow and a way for you to to trust him and see him in a new way. Because you ask yourself this question, who led the Israelites into the desert? Who took him there? Was it Aaron? No, that guy's already Randall. We already talked about him a long time ago, right? It's not him. Who led them there? Was it Moses? Sure, but who led them? Who led Moses? God. God took them to the desert. God led them to that place of bitterness. God brought them to the bitter waters. They are in the desert by the will of God. That's what's happening there. And for some of us, we're in this place where we're like, man, I don't know why I'm here, God. Like, what's going on? And for sometimes, like, you're there because you're there because of God's will. He's led you there. But there are people who are in the desert apart from the will of God. They're just out there running amok. And they're wondering, God, what's going on? He goes, I didn't bring you here. This is not my thing. You can't expect to sleep around and be like, God, I don't know what's going on. He's like, bruh, I told you, Aaron. Like, he, like he, he has these conversations with me all the time. Like, Aaron, why don't you? This is what happens. God knows. He's aware. But we're very quick to be entitled and ask God all these things, and yet he says he, he's already given us freedom. It says in verse 25, again, the end of that verse, then the Lord, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. It's interesting because sometimes that bitterness, that confusion, that offness, that brokenness, that hard situation is there for us as a test. And this is what happens with tests. Tests do two things. One, tests reveal living faith. Faith without works is what? Dead, right? This reveals a test to us, living faith or dead faith. Whether you are in the service, nodding your head because Aaron sounded convincing enough, I don't know, like maybe that was it. You were nodding your head like, amen, preach it, pastor. I don't know. Maybe you do that later on. But, or you're, you're in that space where tests actually also not only reveal to us living faith too, they reveal the nature of God. For every situation that you have an issue of, there's a name of God to pull on, to pull from, to trust in, to look at, because he's more than enough. There's nothing that he has not seen, that he cannot overcome, because he is all in all. And so what happens when these tests come up, they reveal the nature of God for us to trust in him. See, our issue is not physical, it is one that is spiritual. These people had to be tested, because they just watched, again, walked across the Red Sea, They have a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, and they're still doubting God's providence. They're doubting God's presence. They're doubting God's ability to provide for them, which is crazy. But they're not different from us. Has God not taken care of us? Has God not loved us? How many camps do you need to go to? How many small groups do you need to go to? How many times do people need to come and preach? Or for you to sing these words on the screen for them to actually mean something to you. We need to be reminded because we often forget the test and our issue, really. Our issue is not one that is physical. It's one of spiritual brokenness. And here comes the question for us. Because in context, he's talking about a spiritual bitterness, a spiritual doubt. But God does heal physically, okay? Let me, let me be clear. God does heal physically. He's healed people by my hand. He's healed people 
like, 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 and I'll tell you a story in a sec. This is what happened. My dad uh, started a ministry called Fish of Men in Uganda. What happened was this. One of these pastors that were under my father had a funeral. At this funeral, and some of you guys, maybe my small group have heard this story before. At this funeral, the funeral of a Muslim man whose wife had become a Christian. You're getting this? So what happened is this. The Muslim man died. His wife was a Christian. He's dead. What happens at funerals? We are crying over dead people. You're dead, dead. There's no coming back. Okay, door for you to come back. You're done. You're in the coffin. They're about to bury you. They're about to bury this man, and this pastor comes up and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel, not praying for healing, not praying for resurrection, not doing anything else like that. He's just preaching the gospel. The people around him, the Muslim family of this man, are angry with this woman for bringing Christians to the funeral. And as they bury this man and they start throwing dust and whatever on him, this man gets out of his coffin. He gets out of his coffin. And if you guys are aware of how they, like, take care of people who have passed away, they put gauze in your mouth, all these different things. He's spitting up all the gauze. This is like Lazarus. Lazarus is like, they were like, take those, Jesus like, take those things off of Lazarus. Like, take them off. Let him have, like, because if, if you have those binds on you still, you probably can't breathe and you die again. That's horrible. Anyway, the point is this. This man who was dead became alive. So you can't tell me God doesn't heal people now? Are you crazy? I don't, what? I've seen it. I've experienced it. So God does heal physically. The question is, what happens when the Lord doesn't heal you? What happens then? Like, what is your response if this problem, this test is being brought to you here and now, what is your response? How do you respond? What if God's tests are meant to see that there is no way out except God? What if these tests is to bring you to a place where it's like, God, it's only you. There's nowhere else. Is that enough? Would that be enough for you? Where you realize, God, you're the only way. I think you would be like, for example, Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we have Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you guys watch VeggieTales, you know what I'm talking about, right? These guys got defied the king of Babylon, and they were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace. In fact, when they were thrown in, the people who threw them in got burnt and died. Insane, right? But as they're having this interaction with the king of Babylon, it says this. What they said to the king, it said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but God, if you do not heal me, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Ultimately, there's an issue here. That there's an idolatry in us or something we're holding up to that we want to look to as our final product. Like there's something we're looking at aside from the Lord. And they said instead of worshiping that idol, that desire, even to be set free, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to that. In Exodus 15, 26, it says, Moses, uh, God spoke through Moses and he said this. He said, listen carefully to the Lord. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Interesting. So even he himself, he says, if you listen carefully to the Lord and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, 
I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Now, if you guys remember what happened in Egypt, there was darkness. I would not call darkness a disease. I would not call locusts a disease. I would not call any of those things a disease. So what is God speaking about specifically? What are the diseases that these Egyptians are experiencing? If you go back and read the book of Exodus, you see that God talked about how he brought judgment on the gods of Egypt. The issue, the real issue with these people was they had an idolatry in their heart. So when God says he's Jehovah Rapha, in this context, he's saying, I will heal you of your spiritual blindness. What if in your life the idol of pornography is because you really have an idol of yourself and your self-satisfaction? What if you can't stay home and be present at home with your parents? And because you, you or, or, or even you're always trying to go out and be with all these kinds of people because you don't want to face yourself and the real issues in your life. And so your idol is your self-preservation. It's you. Like, what are the idols that God is trying to tear down in your life so you can be free of your sickness? Like, what is the inner, the inner sin? Or it says in uh, uh, Hebrews, the sin that so easily besets us. What is that sin? What are you hold on, holding on to? He says that he put the plagues on the Egyptians. God did it. God did it. What do you do with a verse like that? What do you do with a verse that says in Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. What do you do with that? So much for your Sunday school Christianity. What do you do in that place? In that place, you're being tested. Because God led them through the wilderness and brought them to those waters that were bitter. And they were tested to make a decision whether to know they loved the Lord with all their, their heart, their mind, and their soul. He tested them so he could give them by grace himself. So he could give you himself. The greatest gift that God could ever give us is himself, and he did in Jesus. That's what he does. He gives us himself. In fact, Job says in 31, 23, remember Job? Job says, for I dreaded destruction. This is what Job says. He goes, I'm not wilding out. I'm not stealing from people. If you go read that verse, again, go read that chapter. I'm not stealing. I'm not lying. Why are you lying? I'm not doing any of that stuff, right? He goes, Job 31, he goes, I dreaded destruction from God. He feared punishment from God. He feared the wrath of God. And for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. He comes to a place where he only, one, he fears God because of what he could do, his wrath, but also because he honors God for who he is in his love, in his splendor, in his grace, and what he's done for us. And I think if you remember, if we live in that space where we understand, one, the holiness of God and the grace of God, I think that's a great space to be in because it's a freedom. What you're looking at in the world today is a brokenness because of the sickness of sin and people's idolatry. And you're seeing the express wrath of God. The highest numbers for divorce are not out in the world, they're in the church. Why is there brokenness in our world? Because people have loved darkness, they've loved the idols and not God himself. But God wants to free us, he wants to heal us. See, God's wrath is the fruit of unrighteousness, of holding on to the things we want to. 
Because even believers can reap the harvest of unrighteousness if they downplay or live a life that is unrighteous. Like those Israelites. They could have had great water. And down the line, guess what happens? They get to another place called Elam. And in Elam, there was 12 palm trees. Do you know how many tribes are there in the, tri- in the tribes of, of Israel? How many? 12. So after getting this free water, sweet water, sweet water, sweet water, they go to this next place and God reveals to them he had everything for them ready, 12 palms for every single one of them, and date trees where they could eat dates, not like go on a date, but anyway, to eat dates and like have shade as they eat and drink the waters and enjoy for every single thing, for every single person, God has a wellspring of life. And that is Jesus. See, God sent the plagues to reveal the false idols so these people could be set free. The Egyptians could have been set free. You can be set free. Psalms 103, 2, 3, 5 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This God satisfies your desires, not just with stuff, not just with newness, but with good things, with great things. There's nothing better than himself. He gives you himself. This is what happens when you get saved, where your desires begin to shift and change, and your love for people begins to bubble up. You become different. You are healed of your disease, and you begin to have a life change. And we say here life change happens in relationship, yes, with Jesus, but also with other people. Isaiah 1.5 says this, that why should we be beaten anymore? These people's rebellion causes them to have brokenness and sickness in their hearts. Now, physical sickness happens this way for us in our life, okay? That's what happens. You get old, and what happens? You begin to get a little, little shaky, right? You get old, and then your bones are shaky. That's just sickness. That's just normal. It happens, right? And for, for other places, we have sickness in our world because our world is broken, because of sin, right? That happens as well. But you don't have to have these things happen in your life, specifically the spiritual sickness. This is what happens. It's kind of like when you have a vampire, you guys have vampires? I don't know. When you get to the, the month of August or November, October, when do people wild out and dress all crazy? Um, what you know about vampires is the only way they can come into your house is how? If you invite them in. Exactly. See, God has given you freedom, but every time you push back that standard, if you don't hold up Jehovah Nisi, if you don't have that standard in your life that God is my provider, if you don't trust God the way for who he says he is, then you allow things into your life. And you begin to have the fruit of unrighteousness. You begin to have the fruit of brokenness. God wants you to have freedom. He wants us to be a people who walk in freedom. We push down to this, this verse right here. It says in... I know, weird sounds. Um... Verse 26, if you guys can put that for me real quick. Verse 26. Verse 26, 15, 26 says, If you listen carefully to the Lord and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases they brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I'm going to ask the worship to come up as I make these last few points. And this is this. This is the one you want you to hold on to. 
There's many miracles that God has done and he can do, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, I would ask you to be bold in asking for those things. Why? Because God can. Because he can. He can. He can do it. That's what he says. There's a man who asks Jesus. He goes, Jesus, if you're able and willing, will you heal me? And Jesus goes, yo, my, my, my brother, my brother, I got you, I got you. I am able and I am willing. And he indeed heals him. This God can do it. And so what should we do? We should be a people who pray bold prayers, who ask God for all of who he is. If he did not withhold his son, why don't we withhold the rest of who he is? His nature and his healing, not just our spiritual, our physical, our emotional, all these places. Why would I not ask him? Why would I not trust him for this? If he says who he says he is, then I have boldness to ask and trust that he's able to do this. Because guess what? The greatest miracle that God could ever do was giving you salvation. That's a great miracle. Who all of a sudden makes a decision to live a life where they're not going to sleep around? They're not going to do drugs and get high? Because the Bible says sin is fun. That's what it says in Proverbs. That stolen waters are sweet. That's what it says. But it's for a short time. Who gives up those things? Who gives up lying and stealing and gossiping? Gossiping is fun. Let's be real. Chismo, hang out, talk about stuff. It's fun, right? Who gives up trying to climb a corporate ladder by cutting off the legs of people around them? Who gives that up? Why do you give that up? Because God has done a supernatural work in your life. Because you realize that God is better than those things. That God has a desire not just to free you from your sickness in the spiritual sense, but in the emotional, the physical, all these other areas. He wants to set us free because He's Jehovah, Rapha, the God who heals us. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is your God. He is here in this room, close to the next breath. He's amongst us, and He wants to set us free. But will you trust Him? That's a real question. Will you trust him? Don't be like those people who walked with God and then doubt his nature and doubt his existence. No. Gaze upon the one who loves you and trust him. Be like that lady who hailed onto the coattails of Jesus' robe as he was going by. She'd been sick for years. Doctors could not figure out what's going on with her. But she looks at Jesus and has faith enough just to touch the coattails of his robe and she begins to be healed. He goes, why did power leave me? He goes, someone touched me. I felt like power left me. And she's like, dude, I'm the, I'm the one. And he got healed, not just physically, but also spiritually because she met with Jesus. God wants to heal all of you, not just part of you, okay? So my encouragement to you is this, in the next few days, as you experience moments of Mara, moments of confusion, of sickness, of saltiness, right? Of that brokenness, of that confusion. Lean hard into the God who loves you, who knows you. The Elohim, the Adonai who knows you. The God who owns all things. I want us to stand as I read the scripture over us. And this is a benediction that comes from um, the book of Hebrews. It's going to be the last scripture. I want us to read this together. Here we go. This is like chorus class. One, two, three, go. 
Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenants brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing to do his will. And may he accomplish in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That verse should be something to hold on to. Why? Because God who began a work in you will complete that work in you. That God has equipped you with what? Every good thing. To do what? To do his will. This is not our will. This is not nice talk. This is not goofiness. This is not Oprah, okay? He says, every good thing he has equipped you with, what you're going to do now is go out in faith. Go out in faith. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Because what you got to do is get over yourself. Get over yourself. Trust God at his word. And watch him heal you. To heal your family. Today I just met um, uh, one of our students' grandparents. Talk about generational blessing. Grandparents, parents, son. Like all these things, generational blessing. Because someone at this end, at this end decided to trust God at his word. Let that be you in your life. Let that be your testimony. That God healed you. And allow that to flow down into your family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you that you are a God who heals us. You bind up all our wounds. Lord God, you know our pains. You know our goings, our comings. You know all things about us. And Lord, we thank you that though we are not owed anything, you have loved us. We are like the people who went to that, 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 that place of Mara and tasted water and complained, Lord, and yet you still gave us fresh water. You still give us wholeness. You still give us grace. Lord, we thankful. We're thankful for your grace and for your love. My prayer, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters is this, Lord, that they tap into the fullness of who you are, that they trust you at your word, that you will heal them physically, emotionally, spiritually, because you're Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And all God's people send. We hope that was a blessing to you. You can connect with us on social media at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or on our website. God bless you.